You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. The enormous decrease in mortality rates attributed to anesthesia has occurred during a time when the youngest of premature infants in neonatal units survive intricate, life-saving procedures, and 100-year-old patients undergo and recover from major surgery that were once thought to be impossible. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and with me today is Dr. Yasser Wafai, attending anesthesiologist at Condell Medical Center and former assistant clinical professor at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center and the University of Illinois at Chicago. Today we are discussing current concepts in anesthesia, specifically regional anesthesia. Welcome, Dr. Wafai. Thank you, Dr. Hill. What exactly is regional anesthesia? Regional anesthesia can represent multiple types of anesthesia, including spinal anesthesia, epidural anesthesia, field block, and upper extremity block, lower extremity blocks. All those kind of blocks or anesthetics considered as regional anesthesia. You cannot, you cannot feel painful stimulation, although you can feel wet, cold, you can feel touch, tactile, but you will not feel any acute or painful stimulation. Does twilight anesthesia or conscious sedation, as it is known, fall into this category as well? No. That's another called monitored anesthesia care. Most of the general anesthetics are combined with a twilight anesthesia or monitored anesthesia care in order to ease the tension from the patient above and beyond the regional anesthesia we give the patients an IV anesthetics whether it's narcotic sedative or hypnotics to uh, have the patient relaxed and comfortable and sometimes asleep but the patient will be breathing on his own will be arousable and uh, you can communicate with the patient if you feel you would like to. Dr. Rafai, what is the difference between a spinal anesthetic and an epidural anesthetic? The approach are very similar, except that the spinal anesthesia, it's a much smaller and tinier needle where you enter the subarachnoid space, you aspirate fluid from the spinal area, and you inject medication in a amount much smaller than in the epidural space. The epidural space is about three to five millimeter space. It's just before the subarachnoid membrane. So it is the division between spinal and epidural is that subarachnoid membrane. So you don't get any fluid, spinal, uh, cerebral spinal fluid. You inject more anesthetics in order to assure appropriate block, and you can insert a catheter there, and you can give boluses of, of medication, or you can put a patient on a drip of local anesthetics, and that will keep the patient uh, blocked de depending on the level that you perform that epidural in. When do you choose a spinal versus an epidural anesthetic? 
epidural anesthetics, one of the indication of it, if you want to use the pain benefit or the pain blocking benefit postoperatively, or when you have a procedure that it is longer than four hours, because both of them, they depend on local anesthetics. And the, local, the longest local anesthetics in the market right now is about four to five hours at the most. So if you inject marcaine, chlorprocaine into the uh, spinal area or subarachnoid area, you will have a numbness and block for about four to five hours at the most. Usually it's two to four hours. But if you use epidural anesthesia, you can use it for 12 hours, 24 hours, two days. It depends. Do these patients still have to be NPO for a certain number of hours before these anesthetics? The rules are the same. And the reason why is if the patient has any problem from his surgery or her surgery or that epidural or spinal failed, you always have the option to go under general anesthesia. And when you want to go under general anesthesia, you don't want to put the patient at risk of aspiration and regurgitation. So that's why we do apply the same standards of general anesthesia on the patients of regional anesthesia. If you have just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and we are speaking with Dr. Yasser Wafai, anesthesiologist and assistant clinical professor at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center and the University of Illinois at Chicago. We are speaking about current concepts in anesthesia, specifically regional anesthesia. What exactly is a spinal headache, and is it common after a spinal anesthetic? Spinal headache is, is a uncommon phenomenon after spinal anesthesia, and it happens mostly in young patients who are active and in female more than male. And it is a result of the hole that you introduce in the subarachnoid membrane, uh, and that hole will cause a leak of cerebrospinal fluid, and that leak of the cerebrospinal fluid cause a stretch of the meninges in the, in the head, and that will cause the pain. That stretch causes the pain. And usually the pain is frontal, and it is orthostatic pain, meaning that when you lie supine, you lie in the bed flat, the pain, the pain will go away, and as soon as you start standing up, you will have the pain coming back. So it's frontal, it's retroorbital, and sometimes it's occipital. And there is a tension on the neck most of the time. So it's characteristic, and the patient will complain about it about 12 hours after the spinal anesthesia. It is rare, and it is seen in the patients who are mobilized immediately after surgery. So if the patient has a C-section, and the patient stayed in bed for a couple of days, you don't see it that often. You see it on the patient who had spinal anesthesia for a very minor procedure, exam under anesthesia, hemorrhoid, and the patients, you know, came out from the hospital and start walking around, and you might find it. 
Now, the incidence even become less because we're using smaller and smaller spinal needles. And we are using a special tip needles that it, instead of cutting the fibers, it separate the fibers. So all those factors go into account of reducing the amount of spinal headache. Are there any reasons that you would not do a spinal or epidural anesthetic? There is multiple reasons. Infection at the site of the spinal or epidural area, the patient on anticoagulation because that might cause a hematoma and that hematoma can compress on the spinal cord and might cause numbness. And sometimes if it is ignored and undiagnosed, it might cause paralyzation. Infection, anticoagulant, patient who has surgery on her or his spinal cord before, patient who has a neurological problem like spina bifida, anatomical problems in the area, tumors in the area, and a patient who has active herpes in the area, you don't want to introduce the the virus to the uh, spinal cord and the spinal fluid. What about the patient who has severe arthritis? Do you ever have trouble just getting into the space because of that? It is more difficult, but it's not a contraindication. It's still doable. Patients sometimes will ask, is there a risk of hurting my spinal cord by doing a spinal or epidural anesthetic? My answer always is there is a risk, although that risk is very, very minimal. It is much safer to do spinal anesthesia nowadays than before because of the reasons that I mentioned before. The needle and the medication that we are giving. So the the risk is there, but it is very minimal. Is there a role in this day and age for someone having straight local anesthesia given by the surgeon and not having any supplemental anesthesia? Because of the demand of the patient and uh, the care that the medical community gives, local anesthetics is, you know, shying away. That We don't see it as often, although there's still some patients that they don't want to have any kind of anesthesia. They still want the control, quote-unquote, of their body, and they want as minimum as possible of anesthetics. So when you talk about local anesthetics, meaning that infiltrating the area with local anesthetics so the patient is alert, awake, can carry conversation, everything is normal except that small area is blocked so the surgeon can do a small procedure without causing a lot of pain. Would that be a patient you might consider adding twilight anesthetic or conscious sedation? That's always a good possibility or good good choice, but the patient sometimes refuses this, uh, this twilight. If a surgeon is doing straight local anesthesia, are there any anesthetic risks from just local anesthesia? There is always anesthetic risks from local anesthesia. When you inject Local anesthetics, you might inject it in a blood vessels, and that local anesthetics can go into the blood vessels. And local anesthetics, some, some of them cause seizures. You, when you inject local anesthetics, there is the risk of infection. There is the risk of hematoma. Although all those risks, are, I have to mention them, but they are very rare, very rare. And if someone has to 
be the one to choose what type of regional anesthetic. Is it you, the anesthesiologist, the primary care physician, or the patient, or all of you? I think the type of anesthesia and uh, the anesthetic plan should be done by the anesthesiologist. Although there will be, for instance, I don't mind recommendation from the general practitioner or from the surgeons, but the ultimate decision should be for the anesthesiologist. Thank you. I want to thank Dr. Yasser Wafai, who has been our guest. And we have been discussing current concepts in anesthesia, specifically regional anesthesia. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.